Awesome. Well, hey, as we get started today, I want to take you back to a time of poofy hair and rolled up jean shorts. <laughs> I'm talking about the 90s. Come on, who remembers the 90s? Yes, we got plenty of 90s kids over in the house today. But uh, in fact, I have a picture of my family from the 90s. And that short, good-looking dude in the front left, the bottom with the rolled up jean shorts, <laughs> that is me. That is me right there. And uh, up there in the top right, I want you to see my older brother. He's got the comb over, and the comb over now has come all the way back around to where it's in style once again. But this was back when it was like cutting edge. And uh, so that's me. That's my brother. This is my family back in the 90s. And the reason I, I'm showing you this, you're like, hey, why do I want to see your family? Well, I just wanted you to see the size between me and my brother. Because that was when I was about in fourth grade. My brother's in about eighth grade. And I'm tiny. I was small back then, like three foot nine, 45 pounds, soaking wet. My brother was about five foot nine, 130 pounds. He was still pretty scrawny. But we would wrestle all the time. We would fight. We were competitive. And we would literally arm wrestle probably about 100 times a day. And my brother would beat me 100 times a day. I was like a little kid to my brother. It wasn't even close. And uh, until one day, when I was in fourth grade and he was in eighth grade, things changed. It was that one moment when little brother finally came out on top for the first time. And I'll never forget it because I felt a little different that day. I, I, I just felt like a little stronger, a little more powerful because I'd been watching my favorite cartoon, He-Man. <sighs> I felt my inner He-Man rising up. And we just got done eating, eating lunch and we go outside. I remember exactly where we were. I put my arm right on top of the trash can and I said, Chris, let's arm wrestle. And big brothers, they have this ability, right? They have this ability to make you feel about this big, no matter what you're doing. Because he just looks at me and he just goes, please, RJ, whatever. And he starts walking away. And I'm like, what's the matter, Chris? You chicken? Ooh, and that works every time. So big brother's like, all right, let's do this. Let's go. And so he comes over, he puts his hand down, and we start the match. And we're going, and I'm trying as hard as I can. It's not close because he's so much better bigger than me. He's playing with me. So he's going, oh, oh, RJ, whoa. Like he's messing with me, right? Until the moment when in the middle of the match, I look up and I look him straight in the eyes and I scream at the top of my lungs, my He-Man battle cry. See, if you know He-Man, He-Man, he's a normal, ordinary guy until he screams, I have the power. And he turns into like this big muscled up meathead who beats up all the bad guys. And so I just looked my brothers in the eyes, and I did my He-Man battle cry. I have the power, and I scream, and I put forth just a little bit more effort than I had before, and I feel it working. I'm like, man, I'm turning into He-Man right now, and I'm actually beating my brother. And I look up, and I see my brother is dying laughing. Like, he's just hysterically laughing, and you can call it cheap if you want to call it cheap. I call it taking advantage of a strategic opportunity. So it was open, and so I'm going, and I pin my brother's arm down, and I scream like the little kid scream that I had. Like, I loved it. I was celebrating like I just won the Super Bowl. I just beat my big brother in arm wrestling. You know what? I may have lost 100 times before that. I lost another 100 times after that, but I'll always have that one day where, against all odds, I came out on top. It was awesome. And today, it's my goal to inspire somebody here. 
Because today, maybe you're here and you feel like you're never going to build a significant empire in your life because you're going from one loss to another loss to another loss and you're tired and you're weary and you're hurting and you don't know how you're going to have the strength to continue. Well, today is the day. Some of us are going to realize that that same spirit, that same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, lives inside of you. So the next time you feel like giving up on something God is calling you or asking you to do, maybe you just need to scream, I have the power not because you're all that powerful but he who's in you whoo he sure is so if your marriage is on the verge of falling apart you need to remember i have the power and put forth just a little bit more effort than you have before or when you feel like quitting your job or giving up on your out of control children maybe you need to choose to do something different than what you feel in that moment because that same power that raised christ from the dead lives in you it's available to each and every one of us and if we're going to build a significant empire in our life we need to understand where the source of our strength comes from and it's not you but it's he who lives inside of you and just as importantly we got to keep going there are moments when you're going to want to give up when you're going to want to quit just keep going just keep swinging and that's the title of my message today is just keep swinging and it comes from a guy in the Bible. Uh, it's only two verses in the Bible, but this guy in the Bible, he was one of the mightiest warriors you will ever find. And he was one of King David's top three men. Like, of all throughout Scripture, these were the biggest, the baddest, the toughest dudes you'll ever read about. And I want you to see what sets him apart from so many other people in 2 Samuel 23, 9 and 10. It says, next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai the Ahohite. What a name, right? Dodai the Ahohite, like what kind of a bad day was mom having to name your son Dodai? <laughs> As a father, I can imagine what kind of a bad day she was having. <laughs> Bless all the mothers in the building, Lord. And uh, here's what it says. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines, gathered at Pastamim for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated. They turned, they ran, but he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines until his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. <laughs> the Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Like, what a story. This is awesome. Hollywood has nothing on this story. Like, men, we love this. Men, if we just read this story, we might, like, sprout a few chest hairs or something. Like, one man versus an army coming out on top. It's incredible. But there are three important actions that we need to take from the life of Eleazar. Three things, that are very deep things that, that we need to look at today if we're going to build a significant empire in our life. The first thing is to stand our ground. Stand your ground. We just read it, that the men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines. I want you to imagine this scene for just a moment, because the Israelite, the army is all lined up right here. God's people are all lined up, and the Philistines are across the way when all of a sudden the big horde, the big army of Philistines decides to just rush and attack the Israelites. And the Israelites look, the army people look, and they're like, Nope. <laughs> and they turn, they run, they retreat, and as everybody's running away, there's one man standing. As everyone is fleeing for their life, there's one guy, and I imagine he's digging in. He's digging his heels in for extra support. It was like he drew a line in the sand saying, this is where I make my stand. I'm not giving up any more ground. And he pulls out his sword, and he's getting his weapon ready. And I don't know if this really happened, but I imagine a little smile came across his face. Just because you got to have the crazy factor if you're going to stand up against an entire army, 
right? And so he's facing an entire army. But you know what he knew? See, Eleazar knew that even if the entire world is against you, when God is for you, eventually you're going to end up on top. Eleazar knew it. He knew it. And church, I think today God is telling us to take a stand. Stand your ground. Maybe it's stand our ground in our integrity, in the way we act, the way we talk, even when no one is around. Maybe we need to stand our ground in our finances and fight to spend less than we make. Or maybe we need to stand our ground for our family and determine that if I have anything to do with it, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. They can follow me as I follow Christ. But today is the day we draw a line in the sand and we say, this is where I make my stand. And it's going to be hard. I know it is because some of you are here and you're like, I'm trying to stand, but I feel like Eliezer. I feel all alone and I'm tired and I'm weary. I don't know if I have the strength to continue. Well, today is the day that God wants to encourage you. Just keep swinging. Keep going because you can't lose as long as you don't quit. Keep going. And as I read the story of Eliezer and as I look at how we live life, I ask the question, like, why do so few have what it takes to stand? Why do so many people retreat? And why when we have to stand for what's right, does it feel like we're standing alone? And you know what I think it is that so few have what it takes to endure? Because we never stick with anything that we only do halfway. So if we're going to take a stand, it's going to have to be more than just a half-hearted commitment to God. It's got to be more than just a half-hearted commitment. I remember when I was a senior in high school, and it was on my heart to take a stand for God. And this was the year. I'm a senior. I wanted to win my friends to Christ, and I wanted to do things for God in my high school. And we, I was at summer camp. Me and my friends were all at summer camp. It's the last night of summer camp. And the pastor has an altar call, and he says, if, this, if you want to become a campus missionary, we want to dedicate you. We want to commission you. We want to send you out ready to reach your friends, your classmates, your teammates. We want to teach you how to reach your school for Christ. So come up here and become a campus missionary. And like I knew this was my moment to make a stand. And so I look over at my friends. I stand up and I say, guys, let's go. And I still remember as one of my friends is sitting there, he just had his arms crossed. And he leans back and he says, nah, I'm all right. And in that moment, I wish I could tell you that I had what it took to stand when nobody else was, but I didn't. And I sat back down, and I looked across the auditorium to see my little sister walking up to the front to become a campus missionary to reach our school. She was a sophomore. I was a senior. I was captain of the basketball team. I carried a lot of influence at my high school. She had hardly any, yet she was willing to be the only one to go forward and stand saying, I'm going to go reach this high school. I remember that year as God put on my heart to pray with my basketball team before every game. But still, it was a half-hearted commitment to me, so I didn't have what it takes to make that stand. Yet my little sister, a sophomore, she barely made the varsity basketball team. She prayed before every game with the entire team. I remember that year walking through the hallways of school and walking down the sophomore hallway, seeing my little sister kneeling down in her locker, praying. I turned my, put my head down, turned away, and walked just a little bit faster, hoping that she wouldn't see me. One of my biggest regrets in life is being too ashamed to take a stand for God. It was a half-hearted commitment. See, in my mind, I wanted to stand for him. But my action spoke ten times louder. Church, that's why today it's vital we catch the attitude of Eleazar. 
That's why today some of us, we need to say, come on, bring it on. Give me your best shot. But today, this is where I make my stand. I'm going to stand my ground even if I'm the only one that has to doing it. If I have to do what's right, I am going to do it even if nobody else does because this isn't some half-hearted commitment. God, I'm giving you all that I have. But today, I'm going to stand my ground. And church, if you want to build a significant empire in your life, there's going to come a, half, or there's going to come a point where you have to stand for something or you're going to fall for anything. So it's vital that we learn to stand our ground. Stand your ground. And the second action that we need to take is to have your weapon ready. Have your weapon ready. Eleazar's weapon, his sword. And there's just like a coolness factor when it comes to swords, right? Anybody can pull a trigger, but it takes a, a hero to carry a sword. That's why little kids, when little kids get a stick, that's no longer a stick. This is my sword, right? You can spend all this money at Christmas time, buy all these awesome presents, but the thing that the little boys play with the most is the cardboard tube at the end of the wrapping paper roll because it looks like a big sword. It's awesome. Best sword ever, right? But Eleazar's ability with his weapon, with his sword, is what set him apart from so many other people. He used his sword to deflect the attacks of the enemy. He used his sword to attack and overcome and defeat his enemy. A warrior without a weapon wouldn't last one minute in a battle. And some of us were here today. We wonder why we feel so beat up all the time. Maybe we need to get familiar with our weapon. Because a warrior who knew his weapon, who understood it, who studied it, who knew how to use it, could defeat an entire army and nothing could stop him. Nothing could stop him. And God's given us that weapon. He's given us that power. We have the power, right? And I think God has been trying to tell our church something because Pastor Herbert has talked about the power of God's word the past two weeks. And I just want to quickly hit the same thing again today. There's power in God's word. Hebrews 4.12 tells us this. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So our sword, one of our greatest weapons, is the word of God. The word of God, when we take time to learn this weapon, to study it, to understand it, to apply it, to use it, nothing can stop us. We're always going to have the strength to keep going, to keep moving forward. And can I let you in on, on something? This is big. Some of you are just going to catch this today, and this is going to be awesome. More than anything else in this world, God wants you to spend some time with him. He wants you to get to know him. I think God wants us to get off of Facebook and get our face into his book just a little bit more. You know, uh, I was blessed enough to have a dad who truly cared for me growing up. Like he was there all the time. And I do mean all the time. Like I couldn't get a break from the dude. And I still remember, uh, you know, my dad was my, he was my dad, my pastor, my youth pastor, my coach, year after year after year after year. Like he was always there. And I remember running in a track meet. And I was, would run track meets and eight, the 800 meter dash was my, my thing. And that's two laps around the track. And most parents are sitting in the stands saying, come on, you can do it. Not my dad. Uh-uh, he was down there in the middle of the football field. And here's why, because every time I would come to a straightaway, he would run to that side of the field, yell at me, run across to the other side of the football field, so when I came around the track, he would yell at me again. Like, four times, he would just run back and forth, yelling at me during the track meeting. So here I am, I'm a teenager, I'm just worried about getting my Mac on, and like, here's my dad, this crazy, short, silver-haired white guy, running back and forth, yelling at me all day. <laughs> Like, Dad, come on, help a brother out here. Like, really? You 
to be doing this all the time? But that was my dad. <laughs> I remember when, uh, you know, he was my basketball coach in fifth grade. And then I moved up to sixth grade, and so did he. <laughs> and he moved up into seventh grade, and eighth grade, and ninth grade. Every year I moved up, he moved up to be my coach in school. And finally, I'm in high school, and so he's not my coach, but he was at practice. <laughs> not just a practice. Every single practice, the only parent sitting over there in the stands was my dad. And I still remember the guys, they would make fun of me. Oh, RJ, you're such a daddy's boy. You're just a little daddy's boy, RJ. And like, I was ashamed. I was embarrassed and I couldn't believe it. And my dad was just there all the time. And I still remember times my dad asking me to do things. RJ, let's go play some golf. Let's go shoot some hoops. Hey, let's go grab a bite to eat. Let's go play some catch. And time after time after time, nah, dad, I'm good. You know what, dad, I'm going to go hang with my friends later, so I'm just going to chill. No, you know what, dad, I don't feel like it. I'm all right. And it even got to the point where I had to sit my dad down because I was so ashamed. I said, dad, why do you got to be the only one? Nobody else's dad is there at practice. Nobody else's dad is running across the field. Dad, why do you have to be the only one? Don't you get it? I want my space. I don't want you there anymore. And looking back on it, you know, I wish my attitude would have been a little bit different. Because now that I'm a father, you know what I realize? All my dad ever wanted was to spend some time with his boy. That's all he wanted. All your heavenly father wants is to spend some time with you. He wants to get to know you. He wants to be involved in every part of your life, not just Sunday you. He's not an overbearing, pushy dad, but he's a loving, heavenly father who cares about everything you're going through, everything you're facing. And when you're in life and you're feeling like you're running circles, trying to get ahead, he's out there on the field, running from sideline to sideline, saying, you can do it. I got your back. I see you. He's trying to get your attention, saying, hey, I'm here for you. I believe in you. I love you. Keep going. I know you're tired. I know you're hurting I know you feel like giving up but you got this I'm here for you and I love you and I got your back he's for you he's for you we need to understand that one of the greatest weapons we could ever have is building this close and personal relationship with God and that's what he wants for you more than anything else in this world it's going to take time. It took time for Eleazar. Uh, he didn't just pick up his sword one day and defeat an army. He practiced for hundreds and thousands of hours until it got to the point he didn't even have to think. He just used it. And that sword was like an extension of him. It became a part of him. In fact, we read this story and it said this, that he fought until his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The literal meaning there is to cling to. He was clinging to his sword for dear life until he couldn't even be separated from it. Woo, come on, this is good because how many of you have ever been in situations where there's nothing left to do but to cling on to the word of God and hold on to it for dear life? Those moments when you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, sometimes the only thing you can do is hold on to the promises of God like your life depends on it. See, and I'm still a crazy enough youth pastor that I believe in the power of the word of God. See, I still believe that it can change lives. I believe that it's the hope of your most hopeless situation. I believe it has the power to restore marriages, to bless your finances. And I still believe that there are times when you don't know what to say or how to say it, you can open up that book and just say what it says, and God is going to move. Man, I believe it. I believe God's word when he says if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And we need to understand our greatest source of strength 
is the power that Christ gives us. Man, the greatest thing we could do is draw close to him through prayer and reading his word. And that's a weapon that's available to every single one of us. Have your weapon ready. And finally, uh, lastly, number three, just keep swinging. Just keep swinging. What would have happened if for one moment, if Eliezer decided to just take one second off, that's it. Game over, Eleazar, you are done. You are not in the Bible. But he had, couldn't even take one second off. He had to just keep swinging, just keep swinging. And as I picture this scene playing out in my mind, I see this wild man on a rampage, right? He's got his sword. He's fighting an entire army around him. People are dropping around him. He's bleeding. He's sweaty. Tears are coming down his face, and he's tired, and he's weary. And he says, I don't know if I can keep this going because the army is pushing in all around him. Victory seems impossible. Some of you are here today, and you know the feeling because you're feeling the same way. And Eleazar, just about the time he's about to get overrun and defeated by the army of Philistines, I imagine somebody bumps his back, and as he turns to see who it is, he realizes somebody is there fighting with him. But who in the world would it be? Why would I even think that looking at the scripture? Because 2 Samuel said the men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines like he fought all by himself. Well, we can find that exact same story in 1 Chronicles 11. It sheds just a little bit of extra light on the situation. Here's what it says. It says, next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men. He was with David at Pastamim when the Philistines gathered there for battle. At a place where there was a field full of barley, the troops fled from the Philistines, but they, do you see the difference? They took their stand in the middle of the field. They defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great victory. So in 2 Samuel, it says he stood his ground, making it seem like he fought all by himself. But 1 Chronicles tells us they, they stood their ground. And that changes everything for Eleazar. That changes everything for you and everything for me because the king had his back. King David had Eleazar's back. And I don't think it was written that way by accident. I think God kind of knew what he was doing when he put this all together. Because how many times have you ever felt there, that way? Like you're all alone. Like you're fighting this fight. You're trying to do the right thing, but nobody's helping you. You're tired. You're weary. You're hungry. You're hurting. You don't know if you're going to have the strength to continue. Only to look back on that moment later and realize that the king of kings had my back the entire time. God has got your back. The king has got your back today, church. It's the king of kings. And just because you don't see something doesn't mean God's not doing anything. He's for you. He has your back. And if he could give us just one message today, I think it would be just keep swinging. Just keep swinging. I see you. I know you're tired. I know you're hurting. I know you're weary. Don't go down. Don't quit. Don't give up. Just Keep swinging. I'm here. I'm fighting for you. I believe in you. I've got your back. So just keep going. Just keep swinging. And when you do grow weary, remember Galatians 6, 9. It says this. It says, so let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Don't give up. I remember back when I was a sophomore in college, and I was back home for only two weeks, and I was tired, I was weary, I didn't want to do anything for that two weeks that I was back home, 
And I found myself in a church service a lot like this one. My dad was the pastor as well. <laughs> and so I'm at church service. My dad's the pastor. And at the end of the service, he says, if you need prayer for anything, come forward. We want to pray with you. So people come forward and line up all across the front. And then my dad says, church, let's surround our brothers and sisters and pray for them. So the prayer team comes and church people come and they surround everybody up there to pray for them. Except for one guy. Howard. And he's standing right in the middle. You can't miss the guy. And he's standing right there. And I'm looking around at the church like, hey, do you guys not see Howard? Somebody better go pray with Howard. And at that same time, God is putting on my heart to go pray with Howard. But I'm fighting him. I'm saying, God, I'm tired. I don't feel like doing it. In fact, I don't want to do it. God, no. So finally, my dad, uh, he goes down the line to pray for people. You know how pastors do, like they'll pray for this one, then they'll pray for this guy, then they'll pray for this one. And I've never seen this happen up to this day, never in my life. But my dad prayed for the person on Howard's left, skipped over Howard, prayed for the person on Howard's right. And I'm looking, I'm seeing this happen, and I'm looking around at everybody else like, whoa, you guys had to see that. Tell me somebody saw that. Somebody better go pray with this guy. He's going to be mad. He's going to leave the church. Somebody needs to pray with him. Nobody prayed. Finally, it got to the point where I was like, all right, you know what, God, I'll do it. My attitude was wrong. My heart wasn't in the right place. In fact, really, one of the biggest reasons I went is because I was scared he was going to get mad at my dad and leave the church because nobody was willing to pray with him. So my heart was wrong. I go up there. I'm like, all right, I'll pray with him. So I go up there. I'm like, Howard, what can I pray with you about? And he looks at me and he says, RJ, my legs have been bothering me for years. And it's to the point to where I can barely even walk anymore. And I'm looking at him like, man, you sure it's not the sniffles? <laughs> Got a cold or something? Uh, your legs, really? So I said, all right, man, let's pray. And I prayed the worst prayer known to man. <laughs> it was bad it was embarrassing like a few seconds in I said a preemptive amen and when I say amen like that's the end of the prayer and so I said amen I looked up and I was like it was awkward I didn't know what to do so I just put my head down and walked back to my seat thinking oh my goodness oh, that was the worst prayer ever I completely blew it man and so then this is how it works right you get back to your seat I put my head down and then I start thinking of what I should have said I'm like why didn't I say hallelujah Hallelujah is a good church word. Like, I should have said that. Or why didn't I throw in a Shekinah glory? Ooh, come on. That would have sounded really spiritual if I'd have thrown that one in. And so I'm thinking of how horrible, how embarrassing that prayer was. In fact, I was so embarrassed. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to see anybody. And I just wanted to go home. So church service is over and people start leaving. And so I just stay there until everybody leaves. I especially don't want to see Howard. And so everybody leaves except for Howard. Howard's standing in the back. So I put my head down, pretend to keep praying, <laughs> pretending to be spiritual. I'll, I'll be real with you. <laughs> but he doesn't leave. The lights finally go out. And I have, to, I have to leave at some point, and I'm like, you know what? I'm a sophomore in college. I'm a grown man. I can do this. So I had to work myself up. And so I'm like, all right, here it comes. Here it comes. I go back to the lobby. I try to do the duck and turn. I'm like, hey, Howard, see you later. Have a good one. You know, and he's like, wait, 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 RJ. Hold on. When you were praying with me, man, it felt like there was this fire that started in my toes. 
and went all the way up through my legs. He said, you said amen, you went back to your seat. And I walked around, and for the first time in years, there's absolutely no pain in my legs whatsoever. (laughs) Oh, it was incredible. I'm looking at Howard, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. That was such a bad prayer. Are you serious? But sure enough, God completely and 100% healed his legs. Now every time I go back home to my dad's church and I see Howard, legs still feel good, RJ. Like he is so pumped up. And man, it was incredible. But you know what? I almost missed out on seeing a miracle because I was tired, because I was weary because I didn't feel like doing what God had called me to do in that moment. Somebody here today, you're tired. You're tired, you don't know if you can keep doing what God has asked you to do. Don't quit, just keep going. I know you've been struggling, you find yourself in that tight place. Well, I truly believe that the tight place is the right place for miracles to happen. Just ask the caterpillar. See, the caterpillar knows that the tight place is the right place to build the strength you need to soar to new heights. That struggle you're going through is preparing you for your next season. That struggle you're in is giving you the strength you need to get to that new place. So don't quit. Just keep going. The God, God has got your back and your breakthrough is about to happen. The same way it did for Eleazar. See, this is what it says. It says the Lord brought about a great victory. Who won the victory? the Lord. Who got the credit? The Lord. All Eleazar had to do was just keep swinging. Just keep swinging. The Lord brought the victory. So whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, God's got your back. He's with you even when you don't feel him. We're people so driven by by our senses and our emotions and what we can see and what we can feel. But God is there even when you can't see him, when you can't sense him, when you can't feel him. So some of you need to find strength in the fact that he will never leave you or forsake you. Rest easy knowing that you're not in this thing by yourself because the king has got your back and the Lord is the one that's going to bring the victory in your life. That means today the only thing that you got to do is just keep swinging just keep swinging the king is fighting on your side and if you want to build a significant empire just remember that i gotta keep going because the king of kings has got my back